Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I feel I should just leave now while the going's good. Um, okay, so we've only got an hour, and this is a massive, massive topic. So we are going to do a bit of a superficial skim over, and I apologise now, but that's kind of all it's possible really to do in an hour. Um, so I'll say a little bit about who I am. I, I, I am a Christian. I've been a Christian for uh, many years, and yes, before I was 18, but drifted away for quite a while. Um, I've been a psychotherapist for nearly 30 years and started specialising in pornography about 12, 14 years ago. Um, and for me, it was an absolute leap of faith when I stopped all the other counselling work that I did in December is I'm just going to work in sex and porn addiction. Um, numerous people saying, you know, you, you're going to go broke, there isn't enough you know, money there, basically, and I'm the main breadwinner in the house. This is foolish. Um, well, they were wrong. Uh, pornography has, as you know, thanks to uh, Apple, thank you, Apple, um, just huge. It is absolutely everywhere. And we'll look at some of the porn stats. So I now run the, the Laurel Centre. We've got a practice in Leamington Spa. We've also got offices in London. Um, you, you can read. We do There's a team of 19 therapists now and various admin, and we're growing all the time. So we do individual therapy. We do couple therapy and disclosure. We do partner support groups, um, and we do intensive and weekly recovery programs as well. And we do faith-specific ones. We're just about to start doing services for Muslims as well because I'm getting more and more um, calls from imams saying this is a major issue for them. Um, so we do a specific five-day intensive program in Leamington Spa for Christians and Christian leaders. And we also do a 12-week program in London. So the, the six-day intensive is basically exactly the same, but that's for people that come from all around the country, um, and indeed increasingly all around the world they come to us. The programmes are pretty much the same, we just get to talk about God openly in the Christian ones, and we get to read the Bible and we get to pray together as part of the support, and we don't do that in the uh, heathen ones, as I affectionately call them. Um, we're also a training organisation, so uh, we train therapists, and I spend more and more of my time speaking at different events and training different events to, to psychotherapists all over the place. So, there you go, that's me. Um, right, some porn stats, you might be aware of this. It's a huge business, $97 billion business. And it's interesting because actually very few people pay for porn now, yet the revenue streams are continuing. Um, primarily that is because of the advertising that happens on those sites. Uh, for me, increasingly what I'm recognising is pornography is um, it's a bit of a gateway drug, if you like. Once you're in pornography, that's where all the adult hookup sites, I'm sure some of you know this, that's where all the adult hookup sites are advertised, sex workers, webcam sex, that's where the paid for sex services are. So the majority of my clients start just on porn. For many, by the time they actually come to us, it's because they really have crossed a line they never thought that they would cross. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know, today I think I'm going to go and have a threesome with some sex workers and get a couple of trans people in and a line of coke and some, some chems and whatever. That's, that's generally not how it happens. It starts with a bit of vanilla porn, if you like, and however long later they're into the more hardcore stuff. And that's often when people come to us. Although, interestingly, as we're talking about it more and more as a society, uh, I get inundated with requests from the media as well, um, we are beginning to talk about it a, a bit more, and thankfully that means more people are coming to us earlier and sooner before their, the bottom falls out of their life. Uh, search engines deal with 68 million requests daily for pornographic material, and 25% of all search terms are for pornography. So 25% of all search terms ever entered into Google are for some type of pornography. And the top search requests within that, according to, to Pornhub, they're brilliant at their research, um, is, is teen. Um, unfortunately, also, our business increasingly is working with uh, offenders, working with people who've crossed the line. Who've, and the, the law, I'm not going to go into that side because it's huge, uh, but the law is under 18. If anyone's viewed an image under 18, they have broken the law. And that is pretty tricky for a lot of 19-year-olds who may have seen an image of a 17-year-old. This is, you know, age-relevant. Thankfully, the law doesn't treat them in the same way as uh, prepubescent porn. Um, but it is a growing part of our business as well as is, is kind of working with those groups of people. 
Um, brilliant resource, uh, Your Brain on Porn. If you want uh, to know more about porn, particularly about the research and the neuroscience of it, do look at Your Brain on Porn. They have 20,000 unique visitors a day. So let's talk a little bit more about porn. Um, if, if I'm going to try and keep away from the moral debates here. This is what becomes tricky. I mean, obviously, as Christians and as a Christian myself, I have my own moral and spiritual views about pornography. But when I'm out there working with people, I'm coming from a health perspective. Porn is wrecking people's lives, their mental health, their physical health, their relationship health. Going into the morality side of it, I do not find benefits me. There are plenty of people who are doing anti-porn campaigns. Well done, I congratulate them. It's not what I do. What I'm focusing on is the, uh, the impact of addiction. So why do people get into porn? Um, for many, unfortunately, it's about education. We still have a pretty terrible sex and relationship education service within most schools. So a lot of young people will turn to pornography to find out whether or not tab A really does go in slot B or whether that's just a myth and to find out you know, about the birds and the bees and all that. Um, exploration, curiosity, what else is out there? And certainly people from my minority sexual groups will be turning to pornography quite often for to, to explore more. Entertainment, um, I think <laughs> one of the things that really annoys a lot of young people um, is when older people say, you know, it's not realistic, you know, it's not real. And they're like, duh, you'll be telling me that EastEnders isn't real next. Yeah, they know. It's the edited highlights. It's just the good bits. They cut out the foreplay and the argument afterwards and whatever. <laughs> they, it's just, they know that. It's entertainment. So, yeah, please don't try and put young people off by saying it's not real. They'll smile and then laugh. Um, and, of course, excitement. It is it is exciting. We'll talk a bit more about that as well. So the power, why is it so powerful and so addictive? Um, I think in part it's because it is part of our survival drive, of course. You know, I think it was God's idea that we would procreate in this way, in a way that gives us pleasure. If it didn't cause great pleasure, then we might stop doing it, and I'm guessing that is not part of his plan. It is part of the survival drive. Um, and this makes it difficult working in sex and porn addiction as well because it is a natural appetite like food. This is not the same as alcohol and drugs. We were not designed to drink alcohol. Um, but we were designed to have sex, so it is part of our survival drive. A wonderful thing that uh, us humans have that God gave us that he didn't give to any other mammal on the planet is something that I've called erotic empathy. We are turned on by our partner being turned on. One of the reasons that we don't generally have sex in public is because we know that other people will get off on it. That doesn't happen with cows and sheep and horses. They don't go and hide behind a bush because they're worried that someone else is getting off on it. But we have erotic empathy, which of course is what makes the, the, the union of sex such a profoundly intimate and powerful experience because we get turned on by our partner by being in that relationship. But that's why pornography is also powerful as well. So you, it doesn't matter how many dogs you manage to get in a room watching doggy porn. Actually, that is a thing, but they won't go there. Uh, watching, <laughs> watching doggy porn. Um, they're not going to get turned on by it. They just don't have that erotic empathy. Um, there's something called the AAA engine, and that stands for, and this is really to do with the, the internet and how that has changed. Of course, this has been the absolute game changer. We now have anonymity, accessibility, and affordability. I mean, once upon a time, to get addicted to porn would have been difficult, because you would have had to have got some money, gone down the newsagent, have the courage to buy a magazine, and by the time you've turned over all the pages, you've got to go back and start again, and then it's, not, it's familiar, it's not the same. If you wanted to visit a sex worker, you had to go down to a call box, you had to put your 10p in, and then Beryl would answer, and I can fit you in next Wednesday. So, well, no, well, maybe at the phone a few more, engaged, engaged, you turn up, what do they look like? Not Beryl at all, it's Boris, whatever. It's just, it was very hard to get addicted to. Uh, now, because of these, using geolocate, I could literally find some, somebody to hook up with in the 30-minute gap at the end of this. 
and meet them, have sex, be back. If I disappear, you're going to be so suspicious now. <laughs> I promise you I'm not. But that is how... And, of course, I can pay for it online. It'll all go through my credit card online. I can also look, look at photos online. I can check out the reviews. There's something called Trick Advisor, which is a bit like Trip Advisor, but for sex workers, so I can check out the quality of the person. None of that was possible before. None of that. So affordability accessibility and anonymity. Supernormal stimuli, let me explain that one. So internet porn taps into our natural drive for sexual variety and novelty. We need, in order to maintain our sex drive, we need to have novelty. And anybody who's been in a long-term relationship will know that 7.30 on a Friday night under the covers in exactly the same position every single week after a while, coronation and a cup of tea sounds... <laughs> I keep telling him. Anyway, you know, ends up being more appealing. That is how we're created. We are inspired by novelty. I think in, you know, many years ago that was probably to stop you having sex with your sister and your mother. Yeah? The problem with pornography is it gives us infinite, sorry, infinite novelty and variety. So if you use a food metaphor, we were created yeah, to like fatty foods and sweet foods. That's part of our survival. We want fatty foods and sweet foods. Hunter-gatherer days, before fridges, when you found something like that, you would binge on it. We have a binge mechanism. Because, and this is our limbic system as opposed to our neocortex, because in those days, before fridges, if you found it, you needed to eat it all at once. Unfortunately, we still have a binge mechanism. I was looking at those cakes at lunchtime like I was never, ever, ever, ever going to see a cake again for the rest of my life. And my limbic system was saying, eat as much as possible, you may not get another chance. And we have to rely on our thinking brain, on our neocortex, to get the message through. Exactly the same drive happens around sex. We have a binge mechanism for novelty, for variety, for getting it while the getting's good. Um, so the reason we have so much chronic obesity in our society now is because of, uh, specifically ring donuts apparently, but it's because of ring donuts and because we can store them in fridges and we can eat them infinitely. And it is that same drive that continues our desire for pornography. So a bit about the perils of porn. Um, unrealistic expectations. Um, as I said, it's only ever the edited highlights. You just cut straight to the good bits. Um, they tend to be bodies that perform absolutely perfectly all the time. Generally look pretty good, though. Actually, that's a bit of a myth that it's all airbrushed nowadays. There's so, so much now what's known as girlfriend kind of next door, girl next door porn, that that's not necessarily the case. But it does set huge unrealistic expectations. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier who came, um, made the usual comment that, that I hear quite often about what the impact that pornography has on women and women's expectations of their body, of how they should look, what they should do sexually, and talking about you know, misogyny, which is on there somewhere. Um, and that is true, but I think what we're missing in the narratives we have around pornography now is the impact it's having on men's lives. Um, I work, 99% of our clients are men. I mean, interestingly, the statistics say, and I've done a couple of bits of research on this, that about 30% of people with sex and porn addiction are women, yet they don't come forward for help. And I think that's a really interesting conversation around um, kind of social expectations. I think if a guy comes forward for help with sex and porn addiction, well, you're a bloke, aren't you? It's, well, you know, sex addict, aren't you all? You know, that's, that's kind of the, the messages that are out there, whereas a woman, of course, is still potentially, excuse my language, a slut, a whore, whereas guys are a player and a lad. So I think it's harder for women to come forward for help, but certainly it is a problem. But this has a real impact on guys' expectations of themselves, of how they should look, on what their sexual performance should be, on what they should do. Um, and I was really interested in listening to the first talk about identity. And I think, unfortunately, masculinity, male identity, but also female identity is also being shaped by pornography now. And if that is what the expectation is of sex, hard luck is probably... It, yeah, it's not going to be like that. Not every time, anyway. So, yes, misogyny is an issue. Single sexual perspective. 
but addiction is also a significantly growing problem and that's what I'm going to focus on. I do want to make sure there's some time for questions, so if I sound like I'm rattling on it's because I want to make sure I can um, give you some time. So let me just say a bit about the prevalence of addiction. The long and short of it is we don't know. Um, but I certainly can vouch that there's a growing need for therapy and peer support. There are quite a few online forums for people seeking help with pornography addiction. Uh, one site in particular, um, they, they reckon they've got about 250,000 signed up members and an equal number that are regular visitors to the boards. So that is just one site. And, and certainly we are training more and more therapists because this is presenting in more and more areas. Uh, 27,000 people Google sex addiction or porn addiction every day, which is pretty staggering. Of course, some might be looking for information about it rather than help, but 27,000 people every day are Googling sex addiction or porn addiction. A uh, report that hit the headlines a while ago, we'll talk about young people in a moment, tenth of 12 to 13 year olds fear addicted to porn. It's interesting, there are still some controversies around whether sex addiction, porn addiction is a real thing. The World Health Organization has said now that uh, compulsive sexual behavior disorder will be accepted into something called ICD-11 in May this year. So that will formally make it a real thing. But it still has some controversy over whether or not it's a real addiction. Uh, it doesn't with young people. There are very few young people who think this isn't addictive or potentially. Um, I'm such a cynic on research. This was, this was research, again, it made headlines. 10% of men and 7% of women in the United States say they are addicted to sexual pornography. It was a sample size of 2,000, but the Daily Mail made a right thing of it anyway. Um, so say a little bit about young people and porn addiction. So um, I have uh, on something called the Kickstart Recovery Kit, which is a, I'll talk about other resources later, but is a completely free online resource, which has been used by about 24,000 people now. Uh, and of those, 4,366 are under the age of 25, 17% female. Uh, so you can find that resource at pornaddictionhelp.co.uk or sexaddictionhelp.co.uk, it takes you to exactly the same thing. Um, 435 were 16 to 18, 221 were under 16, and 28% of those were women. So it's interesting how the statistics seem to be dropping for, dropping? Going up for women in the younger age groups. In addition to porn, 24% of those age groups had used webcam sex, 25% had engaged in sex chat, so it's in the, the chat rooms, and 27% had viewed adult TV channels. Um, let me just say something about uh, porn blockers. And the 16 to 18, yeah, you can read that. Um, I think porn blockers are a great idea. I think if there's anybody here that's got teenagers, young people, any age in their house, please make sure you have got porn blockers downloaded on your router. You, you but also that you've got internet services set up appropriately on your phone. This is not the answer to the problem, though. I get a bit frustrated at the government. I mean, yes, of course, we need to do something. But since when has saying you can't buy alcohol till you're 18 stopped young people drinking? Now, that's not suggesting we should be just dishing it out like squash, but having an age does not stop it from happening. We need to have education on this. And I would say that as churches, actually, that's a responsibility, whether it's within the churches or outreach, talking and educating about pornography is actually a really important role that we can, we can take. I mean, if you want to get around a porn blocker, if you Google it, you'll probably find a 12-year-old lad who's done a video on YouTube for it. It becomes part of the buzz, is how, whether or not you can get around mum and dad's latest blocker. This will be fun. And you get another hit of dopamine as well. Um, so of those groups, over 80% had told no one they had a problem. 42% suffered from low self-esteem. 34% said their self-esteem was average. 42% struggled with anxiety and depression. 43% described their home as stable and supportive. So I'm saying that, 
not everybody has come from a difficult background, and I think that's one of the challenges, is assuming that any young person, or adult for that matter, who's hooked on porn or sex, must have had some problem in their background. That is certainly true for some, and they tend to be the, the clients that are a bit more complex to, to, to break, the habit to break, not break them. Um, but for many, it's simply that I had this and there's no warnings on the bottle. I didn't know it could become addictive. And for so many young people, watching pornography is part of what they do. Um, gaming is full of porn now as well, by the way. So some young people don't watch porn, they game. You find out what games they use. Um, it, it's just part of what they do. It's a bit like uh, pornography was uh, likened to crack cocaine. They say pornography is the crack cocaine of sex addiction because it is so potent. But it doesn't mean, for many, this depression and anxiety and low self-esteem is a consequence of their use, not a cause. And it gets really kind of bound up. I mean, the classic story I hear is, I feel lonely and I feel isolated and I feel different from others. And I've got low self-esteem and I don't think I'm ever going to get a girlfriend or boyfriend. So I lock myself in my bedroom all on my own and view porn for hours, which makes me feel lonely and isolated and gives me low self-esteem. The very problem that often the porn's being used to escape from, it actually creates more of. And that is where you then get trapped in the cycle. <coughs> So I'm going to interrupt this for a moment and play you a video. Um, I think it's really important to understand that in addiction, this is true for sex and porn addiction as well as um, all addictions, there is a biological component as well as a psychological component. Okay, so undoubtedly the psychological component is generally around avoiding feeling a negative emotion and generating a positive one. I mean, you could argue the entire of life is about, let's try and avoid feeling something horrible and preferably experience something nice. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's common sense, isn't that? So there is, there's that emotional component, absolutely, but there is a biological component. And often when I've worked with Christians and Christian leaders and they've been trying to pray into this for so long and they're praying about the emotional side, they're praying about the spiritual side, often there's a lack of awareness and knowledge about the physiological changes that happen in the brain. So certainly within 12-step communities and a lot of the scientific communities, they talk about addiction as a brain disease. It degenerates and rewires the brain. This is not simply about willpower. If it was, and actually, I think without, if you don't understand the biological bit, it's so easy to reinforce shame. Why can't I just stop? Here's why. Right, swapping technology, slight anxiety. Go on, go back to that. And darn it, you worked earlier. Come on. Thank you. something, we create a new neural map in our brain. So for example, you might have a neural map about cooking a meal, you may have a neural map that is around learning French or maybe learning to drive. And in fact, the more you practice that skill, the deeper that map becomes, the stronger it becomes in our brain, to the point where you don't need to think about it very much anymore. So initially, when you started learning to drive the car, you had to think very consciously about where the gear stick was and where the accelerator and the brake was. But over time, as that neural map in your brain becomes stronger and stronger, those actions and behaviours just become automatic. Now, unfortunately, that also happens with addiction. Sex addiction rewires the brain. It creates a new neural map. And one of the key things that helps us remember those maps is a chemical called dopamine. Dopamine is a chemical that is the common denominator in all addiction. It's a chemical that reminds us of the things that are most pleasurable in our lives. 
So something that triggers dopamine is something that is going to strengthen your neural map. So thinking of perhaps the map of England as a metaphor. Imagine Brighton represents your addiction. Brighton represents your acting out behaviour. As someone who's been to Brighton, I know that it's a lovely place. It's very exciting. It's full of lots of different things to do. Somewhere you can lose yourself. Perhaps that's also true of your addiction. London represents everyday life. So you live in London, it's where your everyday life happens. But when you want dopamine high, you go to Brighton. Now, if you go to Brighton on a regular basis in your addiction, if your acting out has become a regular thing that you do, then that neural pathway in your brain is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. The more often you drive down that neural pathway, the stronger it will become. The more automatic it will become like when you learn to drive a car. So that neural pathway in your brain, that road from London to Brighton becomes a motorway. It becomes the M23, a fast, easy route to access dopamine. Recovery from addiction means not going to Brighton and means not thinking about Brighton either because we know that when you fantasize you actually trigger the dopamine pathway in the same way. You need never to go to Brighton again so that that motorway can begin to get potholed and grow over. It will become weaker and weaker. But instead you need to develop new roads, new ways of accessing dopamine. So let's think of some other coastal towns. Uh, perhaps Portsmouth is going to represent another way you can access dopamine. That might be going out with friends. Uh, maybe Littlehampton is playing golf. Maybe Eastbourne is taking up a new musical instrument. Maybe spending more time with family and friends, with loved ones, is Bournemouth. Initially, when you start trying to access those neural pathways, there can be little B-roads and you might find yourself having to go to Bournemouth via Leeds. It may take a long time to get to that point of dopamine. And I'm sorry to say, but it's not going to be quite like Brighton. But if you're tempted to go back to Brighton again, you are just going to strengthen that neural pathway. What you have to do is keep going to Bournemouth keep going to Portsmouth, keep accessing those other types of dopamine so that those roads can become stronger and stronger and stronger. There you go, neuroscience for dumbs. You can get that on um, YouTube. I think you can find it now, actually, if you um, Google Road to Brighton, but you'll also get a lot of uh, <laughs> Google Maps stuff. Um, but I think it's, um, it's a mind map of sex and porn addiction, I think it's called. So shout out to Naked Truth, though. So I'm also head of recovery for the Naked Truth Project, which is a Christian charity based in Manchester, and work with them providing services um, around the UK and writing books. I'll tell you about that in a bit. Um, so addiction, the hallmark of addiction is craving. It's not the behavior. And I think what we often don't truly understand about craving is that it's psychological hell. Craving hurts. Craving isn't, I quite fancy a bit of chocolate. Craving is pacing up and down, wanting to tear out your own fingernails, wanting to sob, wanting to curl up in a little ball, craving is really painful. And that is what defines addiction. And I think so often when we're talking to people, we're thinking, or we're trying to say, we you just need to stop. Just get a grip. Just, just don't do it. And that is not understanding craving and how difficult craving is. And I believe that craving comes from God. I think the ultimate dopamine high comes from him. I think he built in us a desire for ecstasy, for intimacy, for losing ourselves in harmony. It's why we love worship so much. That is ecstasy. And we crave that. Unfortunately, pornography 
is quite an effective way of giving some of those hits. So I don't think it's a sin to crave. I think actually that's part of our nature. But it's been misdirected when it's, it's going to Paul. So let me say something about assessment. <coughs> How do you know if someone's an addict? And of course, you know, I'm aware talking to, to you guys as Christians, you may um, have people coming to you, you may be you know, yourself someone who struggled with pornography use. Just because you watch pornography and it's against your faith, it's against your beliefs, doesn't mean you're an addict. Yeah, that would be a bit like alcohol's against my beliefs, but I have a glass of wine every Friday night, therefore I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not. And that's not to say you're not going to help somebody not have a glass of wine on a Friday night, but that doesn't make you an addict. And I think labelling yourself an addict when, you ju- when you're not is, is not helpful. So you need a bit more than I'm doing something I shouldn't do. Um, so does it have a negative impact on other areas of your life? Does it contradict your personal values? I think the key is, have you tried to limit and stop but have failed? This is the real hallmark of addiction. Have you noticed that you need more and more stimuli or risk in order to achieve the same level of arousal and excitement? If you're an alcoholic, that one glass of wine on a Friday night is not going to be enough. It'll be half a bottle, and then it'll be one glass Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and half a bottle, and then before you know it, before you know you're counting the days until dry January's over. Two. Um, <laughs> um, so it's escalation is really what marks addiction. And that's not to say you're not going to help people who are watching pornography and don't want to because it's against their faith system, but they're not addicts. So, yeah, moral conflict is not sufficient to diagnose addiction. So... The two things that continue addiction more than anything else are shame and secrecy. It is incredibly difficult, particularly for Christians and church leaders, to fess up to the fact that they are struggling or have struggled with porn addiction or sex addiction. Incredibly difficult because of the moral judgment that they're likely to get. And also, for some churches, sorry, you can see I'm rolling my eyes, links to safeguarding. If you're a porn addict or a sex addict, you're clearly a paedophile or predatory Harvey Weinstein. Thanks for all those press releases. Um, That's just not the case. That's like saying anybody who's an alcoholic should have their driving license removed immediately because they will drink, drive and kill somebody. No, they won't. There are plenty of alcoholics who would never dream of getting behind the wheel of a car. Never dream of it. And there are certainly plenty of people with sex and porn addiction where there are a vast majority where there are no safeguarding issues. But I think that also makes it a challenge coming forward in the church. And the shame as well. They say shame is to addiction what oxygen is to fire. It just continues it. So why do people continue to do what they don't want to do? So I'm going to do a little, uh, little test here. Um, I'd like you to put your hand up if you have never broken the speed limit. Uh, well, that's the second question. Put it down if you don't drive. Right, thank you. <laughs> okay, so I'm assuming all of you think that speed limits are good ideas. And you probably shouldn't speed. And those of you with those lovely little fishes on the back of your car are probably... Are you just trying to drive fast enough so that no one can see that you're a Christian? <laughs> you probably know particularly that this is not setting, setting a good example and you, know, you shouldn't be. But why? Why do we do it? Well, there, is, so I, I, there was no denial. If there's somebody with their hand up who does drive, I usually go, OK, that's the first one, denial. Justification. So you justify speeding because, well, you know, I need to get somewhere on time. I had to give this presentation, so I mean, obviously, I, you know, it's a good reason to. Minimising, I, I never go more than 10 miles above the speed limit, so it doesn't really count. It's fine. Uh, blame, if I hadn't got stuck behind that learner driver, I wouldn't have needed to speed in the first place, would I? Comparison, don't you just love it when the car goes faster than you on the outside lane? Because I'm not driving as fast as him. So that makes it okay. Uh, Uniqueness, I I mean, I am lucky that I'm an exceptionally good driver. Exceptionally good. 
Uh, most people can't drive as well as me, so you know, that's, that's why it's okay for me to break the speed limit. Victim starts, my friend genuinely swears her car doesn't go under 30. Um, and of course, generalisation, everybody speeds. These are the cognitive distortions that we use to do things that we know we shouldn't do, but we continue to do them anyway. So a little uh, um, honest story, I, um, <laughs> I got stopped for speeding, it was the first time I've been caught. Um, I got stopped for speeding a while ago and um, did get three points on my licence. Um, and I was so fortunate. So I can tell you all, all of these cognitive distortions for why I was speeding. The road was completely empty, motorway, it was completely dry. My father had recently died and I'd been visiting my mother. Ah. Oh. Um, so, you know, this is why I was speeding. And I want to get home to my children. Ah. Oh. So, you know, this is why I was speeding, good reason. Luckily, it was that low sun, winter sun, I spotted the police car, so I was able to slow down to 95 before I went past him. <laughs> it was completely empty, it was completely dry. So luckily, I just got three points on my licence. If I hadn't seen the police car, I would have lost my licence. Now, I got back in the car, my heart was going like crazy. I just seen the police car. Um, heart was going like crazy, and I drove the rest of the way home going, you stupid woman. I live right in the middle of nowhere. My kids were dependent on me for driving at the time. So get, and, stupid, stupid woman, you stupid, stupid, stupid woman. So, hands up those who think I've never, that was four years ago, never ever broken the speed limit since. <laughs> the problem is the pain wears off. And this is what happens with addiction. Now, I, you know, I didn't just get in the car a few days later and think, ah, stuff it, 110. You know, that's not what I did. I went from 70 to 75. This is on motorways, not in town. 70 to 75. <laughs> I went from 70 to 75, and I was careful. I was really vigilant that there weren't any cameras. Then 75 to 80. Then 80 to 80. I haven't quite got back that high again. But this is what happens with addiction. Most people don't just think, ah, oh, stuff it, I'm just going back to porn. They get a YouTube first, or suddenly an interest in next to lingerie or whatever. They're these little grey areas and it creeps and it seeps back in because the pain wears off and that, unfortunately, is what happens. Is this all making sense? Okay. Okay, so how do we overcome porn addiction? So in a nutshell, nearly at the end, I have some time for questions. Um, so I use this choice model. Um, I believe that acting out, which is kind of uh, the label we use for whatever the behaviour might be, whether it's drinking, drugs, sex, porn, gambling, whatever, is a choice. But, and, and you know, we do choose how we behave, but we can't choose not to crave. And that's the bit, really, that we're treating is craving, not the acting out. That's too late by then, it's the craving. And I, th and I believe that as humans we have a, should have a choice on how we live our lives. I and mean, it's part of being a Christian that God gave us free will. Blessing and a curse, but he gave us free will. We can get to choose, but actually addiction robs people of their choice to have the life that they want to have. So choice is not only an acrostic, because I do like acrostics, but it's also the philosophy of how we work. So first and foremost, you need to challenge core beliefs. A lot of people believe they can't change. And they may believe that's because all the identity stuff that was being talked about earlier, they're broken, they're faulty. It's just the way I was wired up. And remember the road to Brighton. By the time you've got that M23 is a eight-lane superhighway, genuinely that is how you're wired up. The good thing is we can, we can rewire you. Um, but though, that core belief that actually this is who I am, this is what I'm like, this is what I do. I've got an exceptionally high sex drive is another very common one. It has nothing to do with sex drive any more than someone who's chronically obese, it's, it's to do with hunger, yeah? It's nothing to do with appetite. Um, have a vision. So I'm a firm believer in helping people to change by driving them towards something, not away from something. It's carrots, not sticks. So actually, what is the life you want to lead? Who is the person you want to be? And actually really building that, that image, that sense of future. Overcome compulsive behaviours, that's just like, you know, it's a single liner there, that, that's the tough bit and that's like a whole other workshop potentially, but um, I can recommend a book at the end which will tell you exactly how to do that bit, but it's basically about identifying your triggers, 
identifying your cognitive distortions, yeah, which is that denial, blame, uniqueness, whatever. Um, once you've identified your triggers, avoiding them if you can, or having very practical relapse prevention strategies if you can't. And we live in a highly sexualized culture. You are not going to avoid the triggers. Identify what positive sexuality and means, and obviously that varies for, for, for all individuals, depending on their culture, depending on um, their relationship status, depending on their orientation, that's, that's going to vary. Connect with others. I do believe community in recovery is really important. Um, community, connection with others, so we, that's why we do so much great work, really is the only way to break through secrecy and shame. And I, it's a bit of a hard, it's a hard sell to most people to get them into group. And the, the, more, the least they want to do group, the more you need to do it. There is nothing as powerful as, in particular, our, our Christian groups, because Christian guys, and say it's mostly guys we work with, tend to think they're the only one on the planet. And actually sitting with other men who love God, who love their wives, who have a really strong sense of integrity, who are caring, brilliant people, and do this too. Just Even without a word being spoken, just being with other people who struggle with this breaks through secrecy and shame in a way that no amount of pastoral care or therap individual therapy can do. It, it's, it's just not, it's just, just not the same. So the community bit is really powerful. And establish confident recovery. Um, there's a saying, I, I'm, a next from the 12 steps that I'm, um, uh, use the language, very fond of, that'll do. Um, and they say recovery isn't about what you give up, it's about what you take up. It is about going to Bournemouth, going to Hove, going to Eastbourne, going to Littlehampton, Southampton, whatever. And, and this, this is, there's a neuroscience bit in that as well. The more you are creating new neural pathways, the faster it pushes the other ones out. If you're into computers, it's a case of, you know, if you keep opening more and more um, software packages, they're going to start running slower. And you want that porn one to be kicked out eventually. That's what you're trying to do. So how churches can help? Um, I don't know what your situation is. I'm going to open the floor for the last 15 minutes so I can find out a bit more. But absolutely compassion. And really understanding this isn't a, well, this isn't a moral issue. It is a moral issue, but don't just, we're talking about addiction here. Um, communication, allowing the space to talk about this. And certainly I believe that in, we, we, it, in, in youth situations, but in adult services as well. If we talk, it needs to be drink, drugs, pornography. It just needs to be one of the things that's talked about. The more just the word pornography can be used naturally, easily, I think the easier it's going to be for people to, to come forward for help and just recognise what a common problem this is. And, of course, counsel. Um, I'm sure for many of you in the churches you're in, you probably have quite big pastoral care teams because I know Vineyard's quite a big church. I think it's important to know when it's addiction. I think it's important to know when you're stuck. When someone keeps on tripping up, it's very easy to blame them and think, oh, they're not getting it, they're not committed enough. It may be that it's something much deeper that actually you don't have the skill set to, to get to, so bear that in mind. So my contact details and the book. Um, so you have got that one on the bookstool, which is, is, is great. Um, but that's the, main that's the heathen one. That's the mainstream one. The Christian one is confronting porn. So it's a bit of miscommunication. I think Vineyard leaders said, have you written a book? And I said, yes, and they got that one. I've written lots of books. Um, but confronting porn, you can get that. Um, I'm told you can get it from Amazon again. But you can get it from the Naked Truth Project dot com dot org whatever it is um, you can certainly get it from them and all the proceeds of that go to care and the naked truth project so you're, you're giving to charity yeah i don't think you can get the paperback on and if you are going to work with people there's tons of self-help resources that's the one that's obviously coming from a biblical perspective so confronting porn is the one that i'd recommend for christians this one's got tons more neuroscience in it and what have you but Okay, questions. Yes. Coastal towns, yeah. Yeah, like what would you expect? 
Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a really good question. So, yes, you're trying to make the neural pathway to the primary source of dopamine, the route to Brighton, wither. And that means not going to Brighton, noticing the signposts and ignoring them, not fantasising about Brighton because it fuels that neural pathway the same, and critically taking up other activities so it will squeeze it out faster. Um, so, I mean, an obvious one if you're in a relationship is going to be partnered sex. is probably going to help, although... The word for partners, if you've just found out your partner's a porn addict and suddenly, I'm in recovery, off we go. That's probably, you might need to work on it a bit more than that because support for partners is critical as well. Um, so I've just made light of that. And, but I mean, partners discovering that their church leader spouse has actually been addicted to pornography and visiting sex workers for the last 25 years comes as a bit of a shock to say the least and having worked with some pastors wives having to sit there in weddings is really really tough when they know how many of their vows have been broken so we do lots of support work for partners so partnered sex with that caveat um is, is any other activity really that's going to give you dopamine, that's going, to, that, that's going to give you some sense of fulfillment? It could be certainly spending time with friends, taking up more hobbies. Um, it could be learning a musical instrument. It could be taking up some kind of sport. Preferably, you want something that's what's known as a flow activity, something that's really going to engage your brain. So it's got so a flow activity. Some of you might already know this is any activity that you're so engrossed in that you that you really enjoy that you lose all sense of time. So a flow activity it needs it needs a bit of tension in it because otherwise it's boring, but not so much that you get stressed. So for me, speaking is a flow activity. Yeah, the time goes. You'll all have different activities that flow. Worship is often a flow activity, or if it's not, something's not going very well. But it, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, is that amount of time gone? A good movie, a good book, good bit of music, pretty much anything. But something you can really, because the thing is, pornography is a flow activity. Yeah, so you're trying to replace it with something else. Um, but certainly things where there's going to be connections with other people. One guy said to me, I remember really uh, wisely, he said, I decided to add up the amount of hours I used to spend looking at pornography, planning looking at pornography, thinking about looking at pornography, recovering from looking on pornography, and spend the same amount of time on recovery activities. Quite. Wow. And it was just like, I mean, other guys saying, people don't understand that being a porn addict is like having a second full-time job. <laughs> Huge amount of time. So it doesn't really make ma matter what the activity is. Another thing to understand about neural pathways, though, and this is one of the things that, again, many people don't understand. For a lot of young guys, recovering porn from porn addiction takes much longer than older guys. And that's because older guys, pre internet porn have got a road to Bournemouth to Exmoor oh, Exmoor, is that on the south coast? Whatever to Southampton, to Bournemouth, they've got these other neural pathways, they may not have used them for a long time, but they're there they're a bit rusty, they're a bit frail but when they pick up the guitar again or when they take up scuba diving again or whatever, it comes back and they can get into it much faster. For a lot of younger guys, they've never had any other... They didn't even know there were any other coastal towns, let alone where they were or how to get to them. So it often takes younger guys longer to recover from porn addiction, and we're talking neurologically here, than it does older guys. So uh, we're way down in the southeast, uh, in Canada, and there's a dearth of resources. Yeah. You're an answer to prayer. I was just talking with my wife two days ago going, Lord, show us some resources out there. Because uh, we're a student town. There's yeah. 5,000 students. And Whereabouts are you? Well, Canterbury. Oh, so my daughter went to university. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, well, I mean, what are your suggestions? I mean, I'm, I'm pleased to hear you're in London. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, we're drowning in the lack of resources. Yeah. Okay, so we have the intensive programs in Leamington. So, I mean, that's one thing, that the five-day intent, and that's, yeah, that's precisely because, you know, people come from all around. Um, the other thing is to look at the Naked Truth Project and the Click to Kick groups. 
so thank you for asking, so I'd have forgotten that. The Click to Kick groups, they're mentor-led rather than therapist-led, but they are online. They're all delivered on Zoom, so it doesn't matter where people are in the country. Um, it's the cost of a, um, of a, it's a donation, basically. Um, and they're eight-week online recovery groups. And certainly stay in touch with... Ian, because I mean, what we're trying to do through the Naked Truth is develop more and more resources to be used within churches. So I know that some of them are already being used. The Confronting Porn books being used in some small groups here, which I didn't even know until today. That's great news. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't have a choice. <laughs> um, in, in my, we, we do now. We're a big team. I, we do sometimes ask the question if you, you know, mind about the gender of the therapist. Just as many men would prefer to work with a woman because they think she'll be more understanding. Some think she'll be more judgmental. Um, I think it probably does make a difference whether you're in a Christian context or not. But some fear actually, if you're a Christian man, you'll be even more judgmental. It, it's yeah. I, I mean, it's. Yeah, very, very rarely is it been a, a problem. If anything, just as many men want to talk to a woman as prefer a man. I think, it, it's edu first and foremost, it's education. It's talking about it, it's education. I mean, what I, would, what I would love to see is more resources on how to identify when you're becoming addicted. I mean, by all means, be saying, don't look at porn, but we try that with alcohol and cigarettes. It, it's, you know, it's going to happen. Um, but if you are, how will you recognise if, if it's becoming compulsive and you're becoming addicted to it? And I think the thing is with... Um, with alcohol, you know it's becoming a problem because you get a hangover. Yeah? It's pretty obvious. You know you're drinking more and more and you get a hangover. And other people around you notice. People don't notice when you're a porn addict. You can get up the next... You're a bit tired, but that's just in a, you know, a bit of a rough night. But you can get up the next day and preach or do, you know, whatever. And nobody, nobody's any the wiser. You can't do that with alcohol. Um, so I think it has to be about certainly, first and foremost, starting the conversations, saying, ideally don't, but if you do, how will you know when it's becoming a problem? Get people to answer that question for themselves. And what will you do to make sure it doesn't become a problem? And that is, I'm, you know, I'm not recommending it, but, you know, okay, if you're going to be on online for 20 minutes every other day, is that going to be your boundary? Beyond that, you know that's enough and you cut back. So, there's so many. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I I think uh, definitely just to, and please don't make it a something for the chaps now. If the ladies would like to go and do the flower arranging, we're going to talk about porn. <laughs> yeah. Please don't do that. Um, so I think it's talking about it as an issue, and then having something set up so that people who feel they may be struggling can go somewhere else. It, it doesn't really work putting people with sex and porn addiction in mixed addiction groups. So I spend loads of time training. Uh, most of our referrals come from Priory. We get loads from Priory. Because it's different sitting there drinking about your rock bottom when you were so drunk you you know fell over and broke your arm compared to your rock bottom when the kids walked in with your trousers around your ankles and your mum, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it needs to be separate, really. <laughs> Change your 
approach when you're trying to mentor or do therapy with a young person, let's say the 12 year old, in comparison to a person? It, it's, it's not that their brains are different, it's, it's the rate of development. So they are just pumping out so many new neural pathways. And the problem is any that aren't used get pruned away, which is why there's no roads to Bournemouth and they didn't know Bournemouth existed. That, that's the problem, it's because of the pruning and how fast a pathway can be developed. And it's, you, know, we all, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, you can, but it's actually when you're younger, you pick things up faster, and that's because your brain... Does you can create those pathways much faster. In terms of working with it, I mean, I don't, I don't work with young people that much differently apart from I change my language and I'm just a bit more chill, you know. And I take my shoes off. I'm not sure why I do that, but for some reason, it makes me feel more hip. Yeah. No. No. Unfortunately, unfortunately not. And again, if you think about, well, you're clearly younger than me. If you're, if you're young, you actually don't forget stuff quite so quickly. You will pick, you'll go, oh, no, I did that. Yep. And you'll pick it up quicker. Yeah, unfortunately not. They definitely need to stop this. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, the Naked Truth Project are definitely people to go to for that. So they do a lot of outreach work with um, parenting groups. They've got a, an education arm as well as a recovery arm. So I, know, I don't know much about it, frankly, but they, they have lots of resources to use with parents and youth workers from an educational perspective rather than a recovery perspective. But yeah, absolutely. That's where it needs to start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, be good. Yeah. One last question, because I'm aware time hit time. Oh, I don't know who put their hand up first. Go on, you're near. You can catch me afterwards. <laughs> Yeah. You're asking something very complicated, yeah. But I think it's so, I mean, again, I think you'll find that most, uh, the, there's loads of research out there. Uh, I think the average age for seeing your first porn image is about 10. So, it's, I mean, it's really quite young. And I think, I think a lot of parents and adults get a little bit sort of terrified by that and think it's awful. And I'm not saying it's okay. It is awful. But most, most kids' experience is, is shown in the playground. And it's, oh, that is gross. That is disgusting. They're not, these are not 10-year-olds getting off on it. They think it's, it's like showing a cut or whatever. Um, I, think, I think an open conversation about what pornography is, whether you've seen it, 
privates being private and all that kind of stuff. And I think talking to young people about how they feel about it and what, what the place is for it, is there a place for it, what impact does it have on people. I think kids will make up their own minds. I think you can do it in a fairly neutral way. Um, but yeah, it's not my area of expertise really. So, Okay, if anyone has got any further questions, you can grab me afterwards, but I think for the sake of your break, we've already five minutes over, we'll end it there. Thank you. Thank you.